Good morning, everybody. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. It's another beautiful morning. Uh, let's get started with some worship, and uh, you're invited to stand. Never changes 
what you see I tried to win this war I confess my hands are weary I need your rest mighty warrior king of the fight no matter what I face you by my side when you don't move the mountains
Father, as we join together in worship this beautiful sunny spring morning, give us the temperament to fully enjoy the many wonders of your creation and the tenacity to fully protect and preserve it for future generations. As we now take a moment to reflect back on our actions over the past week, we are reminded of the regrets expressed by your disciple Paul. All too often we fail to act, letting opportunities to express words of encouragement, understanding, and healing pass, pass us by with words unspoken. While all too often we overreact to the unexpected events with frustration and resistance accompanied by words of discouragement, anger, and provocation, making matters worse. 
please forgive these human frailties. Finally, we ask you to imbue in us a sense of appreciation for the beautiful music offered by our worship team this and every week. May we be receptive to Brother Scott's interpretation of your holy word this morning and responsive to his call for action in the week ahead in ways that honor you and your creation. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, La Jolla Community Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody well-rested? Hope so. This wonderful heat has just been wonderful in our house. I was telling a friend, I left one window open, and our entire house turned into a sauna. That was not a smart move. Um, so make sure you close your windows when you leave. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the director of youth ministries here at La Jolla Community Church, and I just want to welcome everybody to our wonderful church service this Sunday morning. On your way in, you should have received one of our fun little bulletins, and if you, you may not have noticed, but right in the middle, there's a little perforation. You can tear right in half, Oop. and this top half will come right off. Our hope and our prayer is that you would take this top half home and invite somebody to church. Let them know some of the wonderful, fun, amazing things that we've got going on here at La Jolla Community Church. If you take a look right on the back there, we've got a little invitation for our family fun night. If you would like to serve or participate, be part of our family fun night coming up here in a couple of weeks, please take this top half home, invite a friend, let them know we've got some fun and wonderful events going on here at La Jolla Community Church. Look, not used to holding the mic. This uh, bottom half is for us here in the sanctuary. While I'm doing the announcements, I promise I'll not be upset. If you grab one of those pens directly in front of you and take a moment to fill out this card. This is our Connect card. It says, Get Connected With Us. This is how we at La Jolla Community Church get you connected and plugged in in some of our wonderful, awesome events that are going on here. So please take a moment, fill that out. Let us know how we can get you engaged, connected, and plugged in at some of our awesome ministries here at La Jolla Community Church. You flip it over right on the other side. It says, let us pray for you. We at La Jolla Community Church believe in the power of prayer. We've got a dedicated prayer team every single week that goes over every single card that's turned in and prays individually over everybody's prayer request. There is no prayer that is too small. There is no prayer that is too big. If you've got a thought in the back of your head that says, oh, I can just pray for that on my own, please write a sentence. Take a moment. Let us know what's going on in your life. I promise, promise, promise your life will be changed by prayer. So please take a moment. Fill this out. Let us know. Maybe there's something wonderful going on in your life. I love going down our prayer list and just seeing the great, amazing things that are going on in people's lives. So if you've got a praise report or even a prayer request, you need a little extra help this week, please take a moment, fill out this card, and you can drop off the prayer and connect card in the basket on your way out, along with the offering box, which is mounted on the wall. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. And with that, I'm going to invite Scott up to lead us in a message. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. John, thank you for leading us in prayer today. That was great. Uh, I'm going to be with you this week and next week. Spoiler alert. And uh, next week is uh, the PGA Championship, one of the four majors in golf. And if, just as a warning, if Tiger Woods, you can track the leaderboard on Saturday. If he's close to the leaderboard, we're going to have a very short service next Sunday. <clears throat> I'm not kidding. Um, I want to talk this morning a little bit about getting our lives disrupted. You know, just when you think you've got it all figured out. Have you ever had a moment like that? Just when you think you got it all figured out. 
Uh, many of you know I've been coaching youth sports for years. I've uh, been, lately been coaching little girls soccer, seven, eight-year-old soccer. And I did the math. I've coached uh, 271 games in my coaching career. And I've made every mistake that you can imagine, except for one that I made last Saturday. Uh, last Saturday, you know, the last, last game of the season, and we had arranged for my mom to come down to watch her granddaughter play in her last game of the season. And my daughter was so thrilled, so excited, Grammy's coming. And all week we had you know, made arrangements, what time should I get there, how do we get to the field? And my mom's coming down and I can track her, I don't know if, you haven't, if you've seen that app, I can track where my mom is and she's in traffic, so I'm a little bit anxious, is she going to get here on time? And, and you also got to get my daughter ready for soccer and get all the shin guards and, and that's a chore in itself to get a little girl out of the house on time. And uh, we're also having couches delivered. We, it's been years that we've needed couches. So all this stuff's happening on, Sunday, on Saturday morning. And every single week, I, I wake up on Saturday morning, and I make sure that the, the time that I sent out to the parents, the game time, is the accurate game time. I've done that 270 times. Wake up, and I think, oh, gosh, I could easily make a mistake. I don't want to make that mistake. And, but I, that morning, I, was, I woke up 5.30 on Saturday with all the stuff going on, and I thought... I should make sure the game time is right. And I literally told myself, I have never blown it, ever. Why do I keep being so anxious about this? The game time is the game time. I make sure when I input it into the schedule that it's accurate. I'm, I have an accounting degree for crying out loud. I know how to do this stuff. So at 9.52, I got about seven texts and calls the exact same time because the game time was not 11, it was 9.45. And the game is ruined. There's no girls. Forfeit. The whole plan for Grammy to be there and watch. Done. Called my mom. I said, hey, well, take your time. <laughs> you might as well stop and get a coffee. And I just sit there and watch my daughter just, I mean, dejected, sad. And I literally felt sick. I haven't felt like that in a long time. I, you know, it's not a, in the scheme of mistakes, honestly, it's the smallest one. It's no big deal. Nobody really cared. No one really, it didn't affect really anything. But just when you got things figured out, that kind of thing happens, doesn't it? On Friday, I had my schedule thrown off. Uh, a client of mine that I do some marketing stuff for had called Thursday and said, hey, the, tomorrow's the one window be, before August that we can film this project. Uh, can you make it happen? And I had a full day on Friday. I said, let's do it because we can't really wait. And uh, I made arrangements and I'll be on the road and I'm going to get up there early. It was up in Ramona, up in the hills and mountains. I'm going to get there early. I have these conference calls. I got to be on video. And you've had those days. We've all had those days. And, I'm, and I've got it all dialed in. And I, it was one of those nights, Thursday night, where I couldn't really sleep because my brain just keeps kind of going through. Okay, I'm on the right time, right schedule. So here I am. I'm off on the road at 8.15. And I got my coffee. I got my snacks. I got my whole day planned. And it's going to work out perfectly, right? And then 20 minutes up the mountain, I see that little light go on on the dashboard. It says low tire pressure, which I think immediately, it's weird. It's a, it's a warm day. That's the opposite problem. When it's hot, air expands. You don't have low tire pressure. That's weird. Whatever. Just keep driving. Five minutes later, I hear the thump, 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 thump. And I'm in the, these hills where there's no cell phone reception, and I'm just finding a turn off. And so I get turn off, and... I've changed many tires, but I've never seen this before. I've got a picture if you want to see it later. It's a screwdriver was in my tire, the side and the inside. And my, <laughs> when I could finally, you know, an hour later when I got it all repaired, 
and sent the picture to my wife. She's been watching these shows about drug cartels. <laughs> She's like, this looks like uh, a hit or something. Uh, but sure enough, I, I, and this is a car I've had for a couple years. I haven't changed a tire in this car. And I go into the back, and first I open the manual. Where is the, even the spare? Because every car has got spares in different places. And I find it. I get all this stuff out, and I'm sitting there, and I think, no big deal, right? And, and I'll miss the meeting, and I can't get cell phone. They won't even know why I'm missing the meeting, but I'm going to miss the meeting. And uh, sure enough, uh, a piece of the jack was not there. The thing that cranks it was not there. Uh, so what do you do? You just, I just sat there. I thought, well, this is the perfect story for Sunday. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> it's all repaired now. So just when you think you've got it going right, just when you think you've got it figured out, something happens and changes your plans. This is life. I had thought I had figured out parenting, quite frankly. I even write and speak and teach about parenting. And then I had these kids turn into teenagers. And I've discovered, I even discovered again this morning, I apparently am an idiot. I mean, I, I've functioned in life for quite a few years now. I get from here to there, even if a mistake happens. But I've found out this morning, I don't even know how to drive to the beach to drop my son off. I don't know where to go to get him there. Uh, you just when you think you got to figure it out with your kids, they change. That's how life works. And yet with the Lord, and as we're seeking to walk with him, how do we navigate through that? How do we respond to these moments of crisis, these moments that are disruptive, uh, it really reveals character, doesn't it? How we respond, how we choose to behave. We're going to look at a story this morning where there was a disruptive moment for the early church. And we're going through a series about the Jesus movement. What is the Jesus movement all about? How does it work? What are the themes and principles, particularly in the early formation of the early Jesus movement? In the book of Acts, if you've got your Bible, we're going to look at Acts chapter 6. How does it work? How did it work? How did these folks who had spent time, some of them years, with Jesus himself, learning from him, watching him, how did they respond when they had their lives disrupted? I know for me, I like stability. How many of you are into routines? Like on the spectrum, we all have, obviously, but some of us are really on the far end. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm over there. Not to the point of being obsessive, I don't think, but it's pretty close. I like routines. I got into routines a lot, particularly the last two and a half years. Anybody else kind of enjoy the routines? I know our family started taking walks. We started having more meals together. I started to not drive to commute anywhere to work. I just stay in my little home office. I know exactly what snacks, what time, what lunch I get. I know what time dinner starts. Uh, all these routines, and I really like them. I've got a kid, our youngest. She's really into routines. And it got, especially those of us who remember having toddlers or grandparents, you get into these routines and you actually help a kid thrive by giving them structure to get routines. And many of our lives, we were trying, it's the battle to keep stability and avoid uncertainty. Some of you weirdos, though, love it. You love to be surprised. You wake up every day like, what's today going to be? Someone invites you to something, you say, I'm in. Uh, I get invited to something, I think, oh my God, it's a burden if you invite me to something. <laughs> it really is. I got invited to a Padres game the other day, and I was like, oh gosh, I can't believe, I mean, why did you invite me? Now it's gonna, I just have to think about it, and do I want to? But we all like stability. We like consistency. I like to be able to predict things. I like my routines. This morning, we're going to look at a moment where all the routines that were newly formed get changed. 
And I love this story. We're actually going to do a story within a story. If you ever saw the movie Inception, a dream within a dream. We're going to do something kind of meta this morning, go back to the Old Testament. But I, as we do that, I know we need to pray. So please pray with me. God, help us to uh, consider how to be flexible with you. We know that in life, things happen. And on one level, we want to uh, be able to uh, go with the flow. We want to be able to respond with resiliency, with grace, with patience, with trust. And we also know that life with you, God, means that we're yielding some of the control and certainty of our life to you. And because you love us and because you care for us and because you're leading us, you actually are the spark and the, the start of disruptions. And so help us to see things like you see them. Help us to see these things through your eyes. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we're looking at Acts chapter 6. It's early in the story of how the early church is being formed. And what we've seen for five chapters so far is pretty dramatic events. There's obviously Jesus uh, sharing with the disciples a couple key uh, uh, mission directives. Uh, you will be my disciples and you will ch- disciple others. And you will go to the ends of the earth You'll be my witnesses there from Jerusalem to to Judea and Samaria and to everywhere. He's given them directives, and these early Christians, these early people following the Jesus movement, uh, were experiencing pretty unique and explosive and concentrated growth within Jerusalem. People, it said, were coming to know Jesus and believe in him and putting their trust in him and faith in him, even though he'd already passed and left. And they're really secondhand accounts, secondhand witnesses to this movement of what God was doing to bring in the kingdom of God, to, to make things the way God wants them. And th- we started to see in the early part of the book of Acts, the story of the church unfolding, these miraculous things. And not miraculous in the sense of necessarily people getting healed, although we saw that, or, pe- or, or uh, evil being cast out, although that was there. The miraculous events were things like people sharing with one another, sharing their resources freely, People who had extra were just coming and giving it away to people who didn't have enough. Those are miraculous things. And that was happening. And because of that, people were drawn in. Of course, people were drawn in to that movement. And what we've seen so far is it's pretty delightful growth. Unexpected, delightful growth of this early movement. And in chapter 6, we get a little hitch in our giddy-up. It says this, But as the believers rapidly multiplied... There were rumblings of discontent. You can, I just love that phrase, at least in the translation I have. Rumblings of discontent. And if you've ever been a part of an organization, like you worked there, if you've ever gotten involved in a church, like you volunteered there, you know about rumblings of discontent. We've all rumbled. We've all listened to rumblings. We've all felt the rumblings of discontent. The Greek, here's, here's why. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So just the context, as they're forming, they're gathering often. The early part of the book of Acts talked about them gathering daily to pray and to eat together. And you get to see kind of a behind the scenes, the administration of that starts to unfold. These 12 folks, the disciples, the apostles, were leading this movement, and as people, it said, really said, 
thousands of people started to follow into this movement. There were people there that were coming who were on all sides of the economic spectrum. And there were people that didn't have enough food, particularly widows. Widows were a, a class in the ancient culture that was very unprotected. They were very exposed, very vulnerable. There was no one to take care of them. And uh, apparently there was some distribution set up, some food pantry system, uh, so that they could take care of these folks. And the Greek-speaking, there's Greek-speaking Jews and Hebrew-speaking Jews. And there's some dispute of scholars of what was the difference, what was the argument, but there was at least a glimpse here of some classism going on. So the Hebrew-speaking, they're the, they're the real traditional folks. They're the ones who spoke in Hebrew and Aramaic. They were the ones who likely were born and raised in Jerusalem around the religious culture of, of Judaism. And the Greek-speaking ones were probably Jewish believers who grew up outside of Jerusalem and Judea. And nevertheless, they had navigated and found their way up to kind of upstream. And you can imagine, you can imagine those folks who've lived here the whole time and speak the right language. And those of you who, wait, you, you read the translation of the Hebrew scriptures into Greek? Ooh. I mean, you're, yeah, you're a part of the family, but you're kind of a stepbrother, stepsister. Classism was huge in ancient culture. And you start to see, you can imagine, you know, are these rumblings of discontent imaginary? Sometimes they are, aren't they? Or are the rumblings of discontent from a real issue? Oftentimes, of course. So you can imagine a little bit, you're in line and you're in charge of the food distribution and you're a Hebrew-speaking Jewish believer that's now focused on this Jesus movement and you see the grandma's and the women that you've known your entire lives, and you give a couple spoonfuls of mashed potatoes. I'm just imagining this. And then the Greek speaking that you, not, well, you don't know them, and, well, you've been taught your whole life to look down on them. You get a scoop. Well, you're welcome. Isn't that how it goes? I mean, we're feeding them, right? But there's rumblings of discontent. We're going to see how they choose to respond. Because I know how I respond to rumblings of discontent when it's pointed in my direction. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm just a volunteer coach. <laughs> You're getting really worked up. I don't work here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not in my job description. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, hey, I've got bigger fish to fry. Hey, I respond naturally still, despite 20 years of following Jesus, I respond with defensiveness and explanations. Let me tell you why you're wrong to rumble in my direction. Natural, human nature. Don't tell me that I'm doing things wrong. I want to go take us back to a quick story in Exodus chapter 18. And it's a, a, a kind of a fascinating story of Moses, who was early in his leadership of two million people, two million Jewish people that he has personally led out of slavery of Egypt towards the promised land. And Moses has been given a very unique role by God himself. You are the spokesperson of me. It is through you that I will communicate who I am to all the people. And that has a way of, uh, I don't know, uh, uplifting you, doesn't it? It has a way also of giving you perhaps a little bit of ego. Like you're the center, because he is the center. And as, as uh, the story goes, uh, Moses has led the people out to the desert, and now they're in camps and tents, and there's the families, and then there's the people kind of gathering together and camping together, two million of them. And daily, people would come to Moses with the disputes 
You can imagine how many disputes amongst two million people there might be, especially on a camping trip. Have you ever camped, ever, with anybody? I mean, there's just disputes all the time. There's grumblings and rumblings of discontent. That's pretty much what camping is and why I don't do it. It's just constant, like, did you get the foil? <laughs> no, I didn't know you wanted me to get the foil. Is that how you do the coffee? I mean, just imagine two million. And uh, the way the story goes, and I'll uh, kind of zoom to the most interesting part. Moses, in his leadership, had decided that he would, be, uh, he would set up this system where if you had disputes, you would come and approach Moses, because why not? He's the spokesperson for God. And you would bring your dispute, and almost like Judge Judy, he would listen, and then decide who was in the right and who was in the wrong, and how to make reparations. And in walks, in that scene, so he's doing this all day long, every day. That's what his job has become. In that scene, it says that Moses' father-in-law comes into camp to come visit him. And uh, here's how it happens. He, uh, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron and all the elders of Israel came out and joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. So imagine when your father-in-law comes to town. Uh, or when he used to come in, into town. And I know for me, I get a little anxious and uptight to make sure that things like my sprinklers are pointed in the right direction. To make sure that I've properly changed the oil in his daughter's car lately. There's just a few things when the father-in-law comes into town, I know that I'm a, you know, I'm a little bit on, and rightly so. I cannot wait for that when I'm the father-in-law coming into town and uh, going immediately to Home Depot to fix things that are broken. So, Father-in-law's in town. The next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning until evening. And here's the critical part. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, this is a great father-in-law moment, what are you really accomplishing here? <laughs> Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning until evening? Just when you think you got things figured out, Moses, you got your father-in-law who comes into town, who has not been a part of this story, wasn't there for all the plagues, didn't see frogs, didn't see the Red Sea part, didn't see any of those miraculous things happen through Moses, which I would have brought up if I was Moses. Why am I doing it this way? Did you not hear about the snake? <laughs> Did you not hear about the burning bush? I am the spokesperson. I'm doing this because I am the spokesperson from God, and I figured out how to do this. But uh, Jethro, in a, in a very tactful father-in-law kind of way, says, what are you doing? You see all these people waiting for you? Why are you doing this alone? Here's how Moses replied. Well, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. <laughs> when a dispute comes, uh, they come to me, and I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. And Moses' father-in-law, like a very good father-in-law, says, this is not good. You're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me, and let me give you a word of advice. It's unsolicited, of course. Now listen to me, let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. That's a really subtle father-in-law move right there. Uh, you should continue to be the, father, the people's representative before God bringing their disputes before them. Teach them God's decrees. Give them instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. 
Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes. And he goes on. Moses, here's the key part. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. He chose capable men. He put them in charge. These men were always available. And soon after this, Moses delightfully said goodbye to his father-in-law, who returned to his own land. Now go home, please. I don't want you to see what I do on Saturdays. <laughs> How do you respond when someone grumbles some discontent towards you. That is so often how disruptions start for us. We get into our routines. This is the way we do things. And someone, and by someone I mean a spouse. Someone, by someone I mean a, a coworker, a colleague, someone that reports to you, a, a kid, a friend, a neighbor. Someone comes and confronts you with the, your routine and says, let me just show you a mirror. It's not working. And the uh, temptation is to say, let me tell you why I do it this way and get defensive and get more rigid. And yet what we see from the early Jesus movement we're about to see is humility, which is the key. So you've got these people grumbling against the folks that are uh, 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 distributing food to the widows. And here's what happens. Here's how they respond. The twelve called a meeting of all the believers, and they said this, We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men. And this is the interesting part for the story. You hear that the twelve guys gather all the believers together, and they say, Our role is probably not best served by the administration of food to widows. And there's a little temptation here to say, oh, there's also classism within the early church. We apostles, we ministers of the word, we who spend time with Jesus, we should be doing this very lofty thing of preaching the gospel. That's, it's tempting to read it that way, but that's not the case. So brothers, let's do this. Select seven men who, and here's the qualifications, it doesn't say select seven men who are really administrative. It doesn't say select seven men who really know how to run a food program. Look at their resumes. We're going to put this out on monster.com and career builder. Let's, let's, let's get the filter search. Make sure they've done this before successfully. It doesn't say that. Select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. They're full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas of Antioch, who was an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. And these seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid hands on them. The tradition of laying hands on people up to that point was only done when you had a very special spiritual role in the life of uh, 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 Israel. You don't do it just for administrative duties. What you see the apostles doing is elevating this role and saying this requirement is for someone who is spiritual and full of faith. And as they laid hands on them in front of everybody, they were saying this, it's almost like the org chart 
is not, these folks are lower than us. The laying on of hands elevated them to be in the same plane. It's just a separate team. And here's what happened. God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. What we see in this story after this, we're not going to go into, but one of the two of the guys that were chosen to run the food program uh, became these evangelistic apostles out in Jerusalem, and ultimately one of them was so effective that he uh, raised the hair of all the local leaders, and they stoned him. And that starts the persecution of the early church, which meant all the early church was spread out into the uh, really uh, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth because of his work. You don't see him back in the pantry with a checkboard and a, and a clipboard and a checklist and glasses getting really bureaucratic about it. He is a man who is full of the spirit and full of faith. And you see him responding by continuing to proclaim the gospel and uh, uh, doing the food program. So, back to us. How does this all relate? We are so tempted to get focused and routinized. And there's a fine line when our routines and our structures turn into bureaucracy. When the very spirit that we're trying to cultivate becomes dulled by our very structures. We can't do that. That's not how we do things around here. I can't do that. That's not how I do things. I can't say yes to that. That doesn't fit into my plans. And there's two parts. One part is that we ought to be people that anticipate disruptions because that's how life works. And secondly, we who are trying to do this with Jesus have yielded leadership of our lives to God. That is a part of what we do. Lord, come and lead my life. Come and take me to places that I prefer not to go, but because I trust you, Take me there anyways. And I trust God that even if I don't have what it takes to be there, even if I'm not prepared, even if I'm not comfortable, even if it's not something I want to do, that you'll meet me there and that you will bless me and use me in those places. That is actually the life of faith. That is what John led us in prayer through. That's what uh, Steve weekly, week in, week out says, that's what we're doing. And then I often get so surprised and irritated when it turns out that way, God, would you use me? Would you use me to bless others? And then he disrupts my life and my routines so that I might bless others and I get annoyed by it because it's uncomfortable. I don't like being uncomfortable. I don't like being in over my head. I don't like being uh, uh, over my skis. I don't like being unprepared. I don't like being uh, in a place where I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't like any of that. And I try to avoid it really at all costs. And yet, I continue to pray, God, use me. God, I want to be more like you. God, I want to live into my calling. And I'm at odds with my own prayers. And so what does it look like? What does it look like to respond well when the rumblings of discontent come to us? And there's two ways. Sometimes you get a flat tire, don't you? Sometimes something just happens. How do we become people who say, Lord, I don't know what you have for me, but I'm here and I'm going to yield to you. I'm going to go with the flow. And then it seems like, at least from Moses with his father-in-law and the early church with these folks cumbling with their complaint, rightfully so, a lot of times the disruption comes from someone close to us. 
what does it look like perhaps even to invite that person who's close to us to share their thoughts about how we're not doing it right? What does it look like for us to invite people that are close to us to say, hey, can you give me a little feedback? What would you think I would maybe stop doing or start doing to, to more align myself with what you need and who I'm called to be? It's a really simple but yet highly dangerous proposition. And finally, what does it look like to maybe get ahead of it? I would actually like to avoid my wife having to intervene in my life and say, you're blowing it. I would like to avoid that. I would like to avoid my kids someday growing up and say, hey, there's one thing, two things, ten things that you never really heard me say. I would like to get ahead of that. I'd like to anticipate, and I think what that looks like is frequently taking a step back to reflect on who I am and what's most important to me and who I'm called to be. We're going to dig into that. If you have the uh, interest and ability to stick around, we're going to have some uh, brunch out on the patio, then come back in for conversations. And we're going to dig into two particular conversations later this morning around small groups that I believe will help you uh, reflect on where your life is headed and who you are and the routines that you've set for yourself. And I believe that if uh, we're paying attention and leaning in towards those questions, reflecting on our lives, and not just reflecting on our own, but sometimes inviting others to give us some mirroring back, that we will more align ourselves to who God is calling us to be. So this morning, uh, and I'm going to lead us in prayer in just a moment, where have you perhaps gotten a little stuck in your routines? Gotten a little too tunnel vision? A little stuck on your schedule and your agenda and how you do things? And what would it look like for you to open the aperture, to look out a little bit? Maybe look around. Maybe there's something that you're missing that's actually really important. I work uh, a lot with families, young families with kids, and one consistent theme I keep seeing is parents and families who are so focused on things like academic success. And to open the aperture a little bit is to think, okay, them being good in school and being prepared to succeed academically. Are there other things around that, adjacent to that, that you might be missing that are equally and maybe more so important? Like who they are, and their character, and who they're turning into. And how sometimes we can miss parents and the lives we lead in the overscheduled and the screens and and the academic success and the work. We can also miss out on things like, what are you grateful for? What is God doing in your life? Where are you seeing beauty Where are you being called to serve? How are you helping out the little guy around you? Like These other things that are equally, and I would say more important about who we are, how do we open the aperture to that, have conversations with the people in our lives to change the routine? So lastly, as we pray, consider that this week. God, how do I anticipate some rumblings of discontent? Are there people that, if I were to give them the opportunity to, would probably have a few rumblings to share? And what can I do to not just avoid conflict, but to lean into and yield to what you're trying to do to get my attention? So God, help us. Help us to see what you see. Help us to uh, yield some of our ego and some of our control to you 
and to the people around us. Help us to hear with uh, patience and grace, even towards ourselves. Help us to not react instantly with defensiveness or critique or condemnation. And I know a part of it, God, especially when we invite people around us to share their feelings and share their thoughts, they often express those towards us in ways that aren't helpful. They're overwhelming because they're hurt or they're mad or they're frustrated or they're disappointed. And that just feels like too much to us. So I pray that you would help us to hear that nonetheless, to sit there because you're with us and have the courage to, uh, to receive. And I pray you'd also help the people around us to be choosy in the words that they use and the tone of voice and the spirit and the tone so that we could hear it more. God, we want our lives to bear fruit. As we're a part of your movement, we want our lives to bear fruit. So help us to join you. Join in with what your Spirit's doing. And even now, as we turn to uh, considering how to uh, return what we've received, to give to you through our tithes and offerings, God, help us to join in and yield to you because we want you to have more control in our lives because we trust you and trust your leadership. We pray this in your name. Amen.
Well, I've been, uh, I've been teaching my son how to drive. He has his permit. It's terrifying. And there's this process that we, he's been doing it for a couple months now where I'm realizing the input that I have uh, is becoming less and less relevant because he's figuring it out. And yet I'm finding myself still trying to override what he's doing. And sometimes to save our lives, but a lot of times just because it's my preference. I prefer to break this way. I prefer to turn this way. And he has been saying to me the last couple of weeks, just trust me. And I hear that in a, an undertone of what God's trying to get my attention to. Because a lot of my preferences, I just prefer it that way. And God is saying, I know, but just trust me. So that'll be my prayer for you this week, that as God is uh, taking the wheel, or you're allowing him to take the wheel, that you would respond with trust and faith. So may God the Father bless you with wisdom. May God the Son teach about how much you're loved. And may God the Spirit help you be more loving, more patient, and more kind. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We'll be back at 11 o'clock-ish. Back in here if you want to come and join the conversations. There's food and coffee and great people out there. See you out there.